0: This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets since 1975, the premier local grocer in Portland.
1: Where, Chris, some great things happening at your local Zupan's Markets, but let's not forget the fact that this weekend is Mother's Day, so why not let Zupan's do some of the heavy lifting? Uh, Stop on by. Uh, They've got some great uh, brunch items for you to just take and go, heat up at your house, maybe pretend that they're yours mom won't mind. Uh, She also won't mind some uh, flowers. The uh, flower shops at your local Zupans markets cannot be beat. So again, Mother's Day this weekend, let Zupans markets help you out. Also, while you're there, don't forget to pick up some fresh asparagus. You know, it's the king of spring after all. Get inspired with some delicious recipes online at Zupans.com. And when you stop into your local Zupans, pick up some bunches of that. And don't forget that Oregon... Wine Month is happening now with some great events happening in May. Celebrate Wine Month with uh, wine dinners, vineyard tours throughout May. And you can see the list of all the activities and events taking place on the website, Zupans.com. Now through May 10th, save on California artichokes, tamales, and more. And Chris, here's something that we have never really talked about. Zupans is hiring. Do you have a passion for great food and wine? Well, why not share that knowledge with with your fellow Portlanders. Check out the opportunities to become part of Zupan's Markets team on their website, Zupans.com.
0: So stop in today at any one of three locations, West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego, and Zupans.com.
1: All right, here it is. Time once again, it's Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. I'm co-host, Court Johnson, and actually the only host on this episode as Chris is making his way through Spain. If you're not following Chris on his Instagram account, you need to do so, Portland Food ADV. Uh, He looks like he's having such a great time. So uh, I'm filling in. Uh, Having a great time interviewing people that I would love to sit down and have a meal with um, and talk about the Portland food scene. And today's guest has a, a very unique insight to it because Cassidy Quinn, for a long while, was interviewing people on live television about it. If you know Cassidy Quinn, you might remember her from KGW, had her own show there for a while. Uh, hosting different people to talk about things going on in Portland. Uh, But uh, I've known Cassidy uh, a little bit over the past couple of years, getting to know more and more about her every single day and and found out some things in this uh, conversation that I had with her. So in this podcast, we're going to find out where Cassidy grew up, where she went to school, why she went to school there, not, won't tell you where, but it was the East coast and how she ended up at KGW. I also talk about ultimately why she left KGW and what she's up to now and a great podcast that she started a little over a year ago called mentally together, uh, available everywhere that you can find podcasts, uh, great insight to mental health. Um, she's a big champion on talking to therapists, meditating. And we talk a little bit about that towards the end on how she's trying to better her life and in return, help other people who might be, you know, just looking for some, uh, some relief, uh, from different things it doesn't really matter which so again i enjoyed this uh, conversation with cassidy quinn she's got a great event taking place tonight that's going to benefit the dougie center a great local nonprofit is there to help uh, children who are suffering from grief um, and their families and uh, you can read more about what she's doing tonight on fox 12 plus in our show notes uh, if you'd like to link in check that out and support it so again here is cassidy quinn today's guest on right at the fork
2: Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zoopans Markets, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years now, Ringside has has been providing the best in steaks and has been the home for the beacon of great hospitality in Portland, now featuring dining in their updated dining room and al fresco in one of the nicest outdoor dining spaces in the city. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com, and while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about the exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved hallmark restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse, and by Portland Food Adventures featuring the best chef-centric experiences in Portland since 2010. Go to PortlandFoodAdventures.com to see about the exciting trips our host, Chris Angeles, leads to places you have dreamed of going, like Western Sicily, this September. It's time to stretch your international wings and expand your culinary horizons. Let Portland Food Adventures do all the planning to the best dining and culture all over Europe and elsewhere. With Portlanders, you'll get to know and enjoy portlandfoodadventures.com.
1: Yeah, when we we started, uh, it was, we started doing the podcast in the end of 2013, releasing in 2014. And I think we went from like Wednesday releases, might even been Tuesday releases to Wednesdays and then Thursdays. And then it finally became Fridays (laughs) just for the biggest reason of just having enough time in the week for me to, to work on it. And to find totally. guests, um, Chris, our normal host, is the guy typically doing the interviews. But um, he's in Spain right now, he didn't Cassidy. He want to talk to me. Well, he's I in, get it. He's in, whatever. He's in Spain. So
3: Whatever. Right. I used to interview him on TV, and now I see he doesn't care about me Right.
1: Anywhere. Oh, that's right. That's right. He probably did uh, uh, probably a few segments with you on, on KGW. He did. He was awesome. Yeah.
3: Just kidding. Spain sounds wonderful. Right. If I could have come with him, you know, would have appreciated an invite. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I tried to sneak my way in as well, but...
3: Uh, we could have recorded on location. We could
1: have. So, <laughs> ma- so many options. So um, I noticed this before I hopped on. I was, you know, uh, not looking looking specifically you up, but I saw on Twitter that you pushed sure, this out sure. that today is a special day in the life of you and, and your uh, dog.
3: It is. It's, our, it's Summit's gotcha day, which is wonderful. Yeah. We somehow, we got this dog a year ago, and it's weird to think back to a year ago because now he's like 80 pounds. At the time he was like 50 or 60 pounds. And I always thought I did not want a big dog. Right. Ha ha, right. famous last words. We all, I grew up with smaller dogs and I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for a dog. I always wanted a dog, but not a big dog. I can't handle that. And we got him from the Pixie Project, which is a wonderful rescue in Portland. And they do, I think a really smart thing where they have you do like a two week trial Yeah. So you don't officially adopt the dog until two weeks have passed. And so you get to test out the dog. Dog gets to test out you. They see if it works. And there were moments in those two weeks where we were like, I cannot do this. This is too much. This is too much anxiety. I can't handle it. And I feel like when you hear people talk about adopting dogs, you only hear like, oh, everything's so wonderful. I love this dog. And that's most of what I put out, too. So at the end of my tweets this morning, I was like, also just want to say, Sometimes you make things more complicated and the first two weeks were really a lot. And I didn't think I could do it, but I'm very glad that I stuck with it because he's wonderful. Yeah, I, I love I, him
1: so much. I'm familiar with Pixie Project. I wasn't aware of that process because every organization kind of has their own way about it. And I know I know for yeah. some of them, and, and I, there's probably a reason behind this. Part of their their gatekeeping, their gateway is the the adoption fee is is not expensive, but it, they're relatively high, It's a little
3: higher. And, yeah, and they
1: do that for a reason. Obviously, they just don't want you know a- any old person just to uh, adopt a dog on a whim. whim They they want it, right. there to be a, a commitment to it. Uh, but th- this, I think, that's pretty smart because um, you know we have we had our gotcha day for our dog Charlie <laughs> he, uh, two years ago, and just Aww. the other day. And um, you know, and and this was after going five or six months after the passing of our other sweet little boy uh, Roscoe, and he was he was a big. We went from a bigger dog to a smaller dog. Um, But anyway, I guess my point is this. So we, we got into this mindset of like, okay, we love Charlie. Charlie could use a friend. Why don't we why don't we become um i can't think of the term but you basically if if they have a dog that's kind of transitioning between whatever and they need a place for it we thought okay we'll host uh-huh. we'll host the dog so we actually got this is it
3: like fostering Fostering,
1: i guess that's yeah that's yeah. probably the term yeah. I'm, I'm dumb i, I should know. just go for the easiest <laughs> no, thing not. there
3: i could be totally No, wrong, i think it's
1: called so. fo- i think that's exactly what it is so we were fostering so we actually got this other dog named actually his name was chuck so we had chuck and charlie and charlie in the house they are similar breeds and oh. and we thought, oh, we can do this, and then it turns out that Chuck just was kind of a jerk, and kept oh, kept biting God. my wife, and so um, oh, no. we we weren't foster parents too much longer after that because there's but but, yeah. but again, it was a learning opportunity. So it sounds as if your uh, two week kind of period with uh, summit was was really good for you you can kind of figure out is this going to work is this not going to work without without really yeah. feeling bad because you hear about it all the time unfortunately people adopting dogs and i don't know if it's two weeks in or a month in they this something comes to a head and they realize oh maybe this might not have been the best decision and and which is yeah. unfortunate because you know there's there's a lot of compromise going on with any relationship um but uh i i think sometimes there's just People, People's homes, personalities, or whatever just don't mesh with dogs who often have gone through a very traumatic uh, experience in their young lives.
3: Totally. Um, well, and that's why, I mean, like, Summit was only six months old when he ended up at a rescue. Yeah. And so there's obviously reasons that people get a tiny puppy and then start freaking out. Oh, I can't handle this. And that is totally understandable. Right. That's how the dogs end up at the rescue. And so isn't it nice that we got this kind of trial period? Because it also takes a bit for the dog obviously to adjust to us like he was freaking out we couldn't he had a lot of anxiety he was on Prozac at the time to try to help him through it and uh and which I learned doggy Prozac yeah, was, same as human uh, Prozac not, which is cool did not know that right yeah see we learn all kinds of things and um but he was super anxious he was on all these meds and we couldn't walk him down the street without him totally freaking out it was like one block walk turn around home okay baby steps and so you know now we take him on big hikes and ski adventures and you know we've all still got some anxiety but that just means he fits into our family and (laughs) and he's just so wonderful he's just grown up so much I could just I would have to
1: assume then then at that age uh you probably had to do the majority of the uh the house training the potty training for him
3: You know, he was somewhat potty trained, but there was definitely still a lot to be done. And we ended up moving because we were in a one bedroom at the time. Now we have a two bedroom and we were the upstairs neighbor in a duplex, which when you have a big puppy who's very nervous running around, it doesn't work very well for your downstairs neighbor. Um, And so we ended up. Uh, moving to a new place but our original place the first day we got him we brought him there and we were upstairs and so he comes upstairs and he wouldn't go downstairs Mm. so there was definitely I think most of the potty training that we had to do with him was more just like him being in a new place and still like a few months ago I think now he's grown out of it but a few months ago still if we took him to someone's house new overnight he'd probably you know, end up peeing on the floor at some point just because he's nervous and it's a new sure. place. So,
1: yeah, I, I mean, that's that's been the biggest thing I think for me, um, both as a parent and then as a as a pet parent, is um, learning that like the way my my parents might have treated pets in, and kids in this case or in, in both cases, it might not have been the best way to mm. to do it because um, you know I kind of grew up. Um, Watching, not necessarily my parents because we didn't have a lot of indoor dogs, but um, but you often see it's just like oh when when a dog does its thing in the house you need to kind of shame them and let them know that yeah. that's wrong and you know I, I'd even heard like put his rub,
3: face in it like
1: put their face in it and oh. and then then you kind of find just like they don't they don't know and so
0: no
1: you you do kind of work on the it's the whole positive negative behavior thing and just re- rewarding the good behavior and that's yes. quickly when we learn with Charlie is just you know how hot, happy you get when he does the right thing um makes such, such a different because I don't think they make that association on the bad thing they just think you're a jerk right I could be they're wrong
3: they're like a minute ago I w- did something and I don't remember it now but now yeah. you're really angry at me and even now like if we Sometimes when we go up to hug him, he thinks like we're going to get mad at him. So clearly there's some trauma and he was probably beat by his previous owners. We don't totally know, but we assume because he just, if we have any kind of like, ooh, we're mad at all response, he totally freaks out. And so we just, positive reinforcement. And that is what, I mean, the Pixie Project, the day we went and picked him up, they sat us down, Amy, the wonderful owner there, sat us down for like three hours and mm-hmm. just went through all this training paperwork and talked to us and was like, okay, here's how you do it. It's going to be difficult, but yeah. So very grateful.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's super smart. So this has been the uh, dog talk portion of the podcast. <laughs> um, it's called I, right, I,
3: at the, right at the Bark. <laughs> right at
1: the Bark. There we go. A little little spin off that we do every now and then. Yeah. So so Cassidy, I know a little bit about, uh, about your background, but I, I think for you know, maybe the regular rank and file Portland listener who might be familiar with you because they've seen you on television, they may f- feel, you know, like, where did this Cassidy Quinn come from? Because suddenly years ago you popped up on her television on KGW, um, but, and then you know, she
3: disappeared and then she disappeared Never to be seen again.
1: Right. <laughs> eh, unless you look hard enough. Um Exactly.
3: But Google but exists, you are you, know.
1: you are from the Pacific Northwest. You grew yep. up up in Seattle. So tell tell us me a little bit about you know where did, where did you grow up?
3: Yeah, so I grew up in Seattle and lived there my entire life until I went to college in Boston at Emerson College. Then I lived in Boston for a couple more years working, and then was like, okay, let's get back to the Pacific Northwest. So moved to Seattle, lived with my parents for a few months while I was figuring things out, and then eventually got a job as an early morning traffic reporter at KGW, which is hilarious because I do not have a good sense of direction. Uh, Still, thanks to that job as a traffic reporter, I like to think, like, I know Portland better than any city I've ever lived. I mean, like I just said, I lived in two cities my whole life. Better than any city ever. Um, But I know Portland better than Seattle because even though I've been here for eight years and was in Seattle for 18 or so, uh, just because I have a bad sense of direction. And when I, before I could go on air at KGW, I took six months to like make flashcards, I studied, I memorized the bridges, and figured out that the Banfield is called the Banfield. <laughs> right. um, for that stretch of it. But so I started as a traffic reporter, which was very fun and definitely my way of kind of getting my foot in the door. And then eventually started to get to do more of the fun side of things at KGW. So I was doing segments about what was trending on the Internet and then eventually got to do segments about going around Portland and showing fun things to do or fun events happening or new restaurants opening. Uh, And then eventually in 2018 got to start my own show at KGW. It's called Tonight with Cassidy. It was on Monday through Fridays at 7 o'clock. And we just showed the best, happiest, fun things about the city. And people still come up to me sometimes and say, oh, well, I first moved to Portland when you guys started that show. And it was so helpful because that showed me the things that I could go do and what was happening. Um, and then, you know, sometime around March 2020, the fun things were not happening in Portland anymore. Yeah
1: like no fun no fun things at all like
3: like no fun things we were yeah. all sitting at home uh afraid of 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 the world and all other humans and so tonight with Cassidy was put on quote hiatus just because you can't do a show like that when there's right. not things happening and then at that time i had kind of for a while been thinking about what do i want to do next this show it was my dream I loved doing it so much, uh, but I had done it for two years and was kind of just ready for a new challenge, and then the pandemic kind of said, oh, hey, show's over anyway. Maybe this is a good time to to figure out that next challenge, so I left and started my freelancing career. Um, of course, the whole time, I should say, I've been doing a radio show at 98.7 The Bowl, which only started because I was doing traffic hits on the radio for the bull That's right. <laughs> at the same time. And they were like, hey, we actually need someone to do the radio overnight from midnight to 5 a.m. Um, now I get to do it from 7 p.m. to midnight which is a much more normal time, which is wonderful. Um, so I'm still doing that. I do, uh, let's see, like a year-ish ago, I started my own podcast called Mentally Together which is all about mental health and I talk to people, real people about they're good days, bad days, everything in between. And that has felt really good. And in some ways, what I'm doing now feels similar to what I was doing before. But in other ways, it feels so opposite. Because on TV, it was like, okay, you come to the studio. We're going to have three minutes to talk live. And I hope that we both get whatever we want to say out. Because after that, it's a commercial break and we're done. Right? We can't redo it. Now, I get to talk to people for like an hour like doing things like this feels so good because you can just have you know we want to spend 10 minutes talking about dogs sure why not and then we can talk about food and we can talk about mental health and we can talk about whatever we want um and that has felt really good to just be able to have those real conversations and uh yeah that's what i'm doing (laughs)
1: Well, that's really the only question I had for you, Cassie. I think Thanks for your time. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you so much. Commercial break. There we go. (laughs) Uh, No, you actually covered a couple of things that I wanted to hit on, but I want to actually back up. Uh, So you went to to school in Boston at Emerson.
3: Yeah.
1: Is that like a, is there a family connection there? Was that on your radar? Why why did you choose Emerson?
3: I, like I said, always lived in Seattle, loved Seattle, always knew or thought that I would want to be in the Pacific Northwest forever, but- When I started looking at colleges, I actually looked everywhere except for the Pacific Northwest because I just wanted to go somewhere else and see what is this like? Do I just, am I just biased about the Pacific Northwest? Do I just think it's great here because I've never seen anything else? So I looked at all colleges on the East Coast and in California, And was looking for places that had broadcast journalism and acting programs. Because I grew up doing musical theater and that kind of thing. And so, and then when I started looking at schools, realized, oh, broadcast journalism could be a cool way to use that. I also loved writing a ton growing up. And so, oh, I could combine my love for kind of performing, but also writing and telling stories into this journalism thing. And so, I looked for schools that had good programs in both of those. And, uh... It led me to Emerson eventually.
1: H- had you visited Boston previous to going there for school? Had you gone there maybe with the family or just, you know, Yeah, I'm assuming you visited the school before you chose to go there. But.
3: Yes, I was super lucky and grateful that my parents let me go and, you know, were able to have me go visit some schools on like spring breaks when I was in high school and when yeah. I was looking at colleges. So we did a little tour. We flew to Boston and drove around Boston and Vermont and looked at some of the places because before that I had absolutely no idea of what i wanted (laughs) i've never been great at making big decisions and um which is probably why the dog thing also was difficult like oh my gosh this is a huge decision what am i doing um but my parents would be like oh do you want a big school small school i don't know city school rural school no idea so they were like okay we will take you to some of these and maybe that will bring something out and help you make a decision it kind of did but also i ended up deciding between usc in california and emerson which are opposites in location in size climate yes some some days when it was dumping snow in boston i was like oh man laying on the quad at usc in the sunshine sounds pretty nice about now right but sometimes i still think about that but and, and also, like, the people like or the culture, the community at both schools felt so different. And so that kind of made it harder, but eventually made the decision and very happy with what I did.
1: So I uh, sp- speaking of the weather, I can only imagine the, the, <laughs> just the start be- between growing up in Seattle, which, you know, very similar, similar-ish weather to here in Portland. Yes. Um, there's, there's enough differences, though, if you've lived in both places where you can, where I think you can, you know when people say like oh the weather's the same in Seattle and Portland and and i visited i have visited Seattle enough to know and eh, it's kind of not um yeah
3: it's similar but then i feel like portland is always like a tiny bit more extreme in whichever yes. different whichever yep. direction so like if it's snowing in seattle it's like snowing a little more in portland or right. if it's warm in seattle it's going to be a little hotter a little in portland yep yeah like totally. 118 degrees you know yeah
1: totally. and and the and the seattle seattle seems to have more of that consistent um the, the mist rain, mm. and then we're down here, we, we get the mist rain, but we also just seem to get just dumped on.
0: Yes. But yes, um, true. And,
1: and then of course in Boston, and, and my point of reference, uh, Cassidy, for Boston, simply comes from the fact that I am a huge fan of This Old House on PBS, oh. and, they, and they film <laughs> that in Boston. And so it's- I was it's like, the, where's he
3: gonna go? Is he gonna go cheers? Is he gonna go, no. uh, is he gonna be a Red Sox fan? <laughs>
1: This old house, which is filmed there in Boston, and so I've I've literally my my uh, pandemic experience was a bonding with this old house because I found this channel that runs it twenty four seven, and my my, wow. my family's completely annoyed by it. But hey, I, I installed some hardwood floors in my house, so it, it paid off. Hey, um, good job. But uh, yeah, so anyways, but just just watching that, you know, enough that like if they don't get the construction. Uh, if they don't have, the, if the house isn't sealed up by winter time, they're in trouble because that snow's going to come. Oh so. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you, you graduated from Emerson with a degree in in broadcasting or acting or was broadcast a, a, a comp- journalism
3: and acting it was a okay. double major. Yeah,
1: and I'm assuming I'm assuming these days because you know I, I went to college on a marketing communications degree, ah. didn't get it, but um, <laughs> this was before the advent really of what the internet is today and social media. I would have assumed when you were in in school that was really kind of becoming what it is now, so the idea yeah. of a multimedia uh, person which, which is what I would consider you to be where you can kind of do a little of everything, which is you know a, oh, a great skill set. Um, was that taught at Emerson or was that some, uh, something you kind of said, I, I've got to learn all these things otherwise, whatever?
3: I'm, it was you know. a little of both. Uh, when I was at Emerson, so like I said, I graduated with broadcast journalism, there were also students studying print journalism. After I graduated, within a couple of years, they just combined them and said, why are we having students only prepare for one of the other? Right. When if you're only preparing for a job in the newspaper business, I mean, now newspapers exist online and they make right. videos and they make podcasts and they do all the multimedia stuff, like you just yep. said. So there's no point in saying you should only study writing for a printed newspaper, you know. Um, and... So at that time, they were separate. And one thing I loved about Emerson was all the extracurricular stuff. And so they had multiple TV studios where we could go do that. I got to travel with one of the TV studios there, W.E.B.N., to uh, Obama's first inauguration. There were other kids that traveled to the Emmy Awards and things like that. And um, so it was a lot of learning hands-on to be able to do it yourself. A lot of TV stations call that like you said, MMJ, multimedia journalist, where you do do it all yourself until you're like at some big network and you have a photographer, you're holding the camera, you're shooting it, you're editing. And so in a way, it definitely prepared me for that. Um, And then on the internet side of things, there was a class when I was there called, I think it was called ESM, Emerson Social Media. And it was a social media marketing class. And it was technically for the marketing students, but I talked my way into it because that was probably like, 2010. I think I got on Twitter in 2009 and was obsessed with it and uh, just loved being on the internet and watching YouTube videos. And that class was super interesting because you kind of, if you're teaching a class on social media, it's really hard to keep up with it because things change. Oh every yeah, two minutes, and so right. you're like, by the time you make a curriculum, how do you? Everything's changed. It's all changed. Um, but at the same time, it was really cool to be able to take a class that said, hey, this can be a career. You can do your own social media or you can lead social media for brands. And that's what I did the first two years out of college was I was ba- went back to Boston and ran the social media and video marketing for a burrito company.
1: <laughs> oh, hey.
3: Which, do you remember Foursquare, the app, where you'd like check in and you'd become the mayor if you were the person that checked in the most? Mm -hmm. This is how cool I was in college. I became the mayor of the Boloco burrito shop down the street. (laughs) And then after college, met the CEO and became their social media director. So, you know. (laughs) There you go. So, yes. Learned it all. Lots of it at Emerson. And then also the whole like making my own content thing. When I was a junior in college, the... The Olympics were coming to Vancouver and Whistler in Canada and I grew up very luckily getting to go ski in Whistler and so I was like how do I figure out how to go and I applied and got a volunteer job as a reporter there in Whistler and then convinced Emerson to let me go and get college internship credit to take the semester off and go do this and in return to get the credit, I had to, I had to write blog posts. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what if I just made video blogs? And so those were the first videos I started posting on YouTube were so that I could get college credit for taking the semester off and going to the Olympics. So
1: one of the things I found, um, interesting about, uh, I think often people think of of universities as there's a, there's like a set curriculum and you have to go in and get certain credits, but, uh, kind of to your point, cause I, f- I found this out for myself. I wanted, I wanted to do, I wanted to work in radio and, um, they couldn't hire me at the time, but they said, we can give you an internship. And I wasn't far enough in the program to start doing the actual internships for the program. Yeah. So I actually just went to the, to the Dean of the school and I said, Hey, look, I want to do this. And he's like, oh, okay. So they created a, a yes. cl- class. And to give me the credits so that I could go and, and work in radio. Um, and it's just kind of one of these awesome. things where it's just like, yeah, if, if you talk to the right people, they'll, they'll figure this out. Because I think as, as, as you learned and you kind of pointed to, like a lot of the stuff they're teaching in universities, especially when it's things like social media or technology, by the time the curriculum is like issued, it's already changed. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, professors or, you know, probably anybody that's smart about it knows the the real experience comes from your, you know, the real world application of going and working in those places, or in your case, going up to the Vancouver Olympics and vlogging about it. Did you call it vlogging?
3: I did, and yeah. I had a selfie stick, okay? Oh. Um, but at that nice. time, it was called a QuickPod, was the brand that I had. And then, like, years later, selfie sticks were cool. And I was like, everyone made fun of me for this a few right. years ago, okay?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yep, you, you were a trendsetter, Cassidy, is what you were. Oh, thank um, you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I do. I want to talk more about the Olympics here in a minute because your, your Olympics – story didn't end there. But I do want to ask you, so you became the mayor of Burrito, what was the name of the place again?
3: Boloco. It stands for Boston Local Company. Ugh, I missed so the I can, burritos. So I can only
1: imagine you were you were a frequent uh, visitor to that burrito place.
3: Oh, yes. And yeah. then once you, I mean, I, I don't know how often I went, but it was a lot because the mayor, it would switch. Like there were some other people that you were kind of fighting for it. But every time you go, you could check in. And then when you were the mayor on Mondays, you got a free burrito. And as a college student, that is sure. the best currency that you could be offered.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, was your was your trip there uh, to the burritos for the burritos because of necessity as a college student, or just be, maybe maybe because they were also delicious? Um,
3: oh, definitely because they were very delicious. Because there was probably like there was another burrito spot that was open at, late at night around the corner, and that was fine. But Beloco. They, I, I don't know if it's my ADHD or what, but I, I like foods, but then I get sick of them. So I want lots of like rotation and switching it up a lot. And so Boloco, they call it globally inspired burritos. So they have like a Mexican style burrito. They have a teriyaki burrito, a buffalo burrito, uh, you know, this, this is is a commercial for Boloco. Go to Boloco. but really I miss all these burritos. So I would get... I could have all these different kinds. It wasn't like the same burrito every day, right. which was key because I could just switch it up. You could customize, put all kinds of things in there.
1: <laughs> Do you remember? And so
3: it was a perfect place because you could like have a burrito every day, but it was a different meal, different, you know?
1: different variety. <laughs> that, is, that is a great thing about burritos. <laughs> I'm, I am a fan. Um, and, Burritos and, and, and
3: dogs—that's what you wanted to talk about, right? Sure,
1: <laughs> sure. Uh, any other uh, food places in in Boston that that stand out to you that you that you were regular a regular Ooh, to?
3: If I wanted to like go out treat myself, in the North End is like the Italian part area of town in mm-hmm. Boston, and so there's this place called Giacomo's that I think still exists, and it was. I say treat myself, but it was very very reasonably priced and they also, I remember, the glasses of wine were pretty cheap and they filled them very full, which as a college student I appreciated. Now sure. years later, I'm allergic to wine. It's oh sad. wow. It's fine.
1: What a development.
3: <laughs> I know. It was probably those those glasses of wine from Giacomo's. No, but they had their food was so good. And um and then you'd go down the street and go to Bova's, which is a pastry shop, get a cannoli. That was really tasty. And then my favorite spot for brunch that I still tell people about all the time, even though we do not live there. <laughs> but I swear I had a dream the other day that this was that I was going there and it was in Portland and I was really excited. It's called the Friendly Toast. OK. And it was in Cambridge, I think, where Harvard is. Sure. And it's the closest I got to Harvard was going and eating pancakes. But um, yeah, it was that Oh, friendly toast so good
1: <laughs> you, you you uh you said it and, and i think probably um now probably m- more than ever not being sure if these places are still around because yeah. you, know, you know i think what we saw during the pandemic is just all these great restaurants and local spots but both big and small just completely go away um yeah which is actually probably a, a good uh place for me to, to talk about this so when you were when you were hosting um your own show on on kgw and before because mm-hmm. before you were the show before you was was it called live at seven was that the yep. name of it yeah yep. and it was that for years and years and i think you became yes. a rotating host on that until it became your own show yeah
3: um, i was the reporter for a couple years and the whole time i was trying to convince my boss like hey when our news director like when somebody's out sick me in coach <laughs> yeah and they were like you've never anchored before what are you doing and there and then eventually they were like okay we'll do some practices yeah i did a practice taped it was okay boss gave me feedback he was like we'll do some more practices and then a couple days later he was like so um the host is sick i think it was reggie a at the time he's like reggie's out sick um so and so can't do it so and so can't do it so and so can't do it so um remember those practices we're just gonna do it live tonight <laughs>
1: So essentially he's saying you're our last choice, but you're our only choice. Exactly. You're going in, kid.
3: And I will take it. I perform well under pressure, and I will take the opportunity. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Okay, Chris, we're going to pause just a moment here to talk about one of our favorite places to eat here in Portland, a Portland institution. It's Ringside Steakhouse.
0: For over 78 years ringside has been serving the best stakes in Portland and also providing the best service in Portland. And I right here in front of me have evidence to that effect, uh, that I find hilarious. My mother kept a uh, journal of all her travels, and my father and my mother's travels, and their dining experiences. And I just happened to come across from 2001 when they visited Portland before I even knew about this place. Uh, my mom's entry after going to Potso and lots of places and having her usual complaints about those. This is her entry for ringside steakhouse from 2001 it's jane Angeles. my favorite restaurant is ringside which our shuttle driver took us to we ordered the three-course meal as if i needed it terrific onion soup and we both had marvelous roast beef just like in the old days didn't order dessert though i'm about to explode you know, what's interesting <laughs> about
1: that, Chris, is that uh, your, your mom and you have both both been drawn to the onion soup there at Ringside Steakhouse.
0: Well, the, the fact that that was their favorite restaurant is pretty awesome. Yeah. I didn't know Ringside then. so And I didn't use this diary to decide to establish a love for Ringside when I got here. So I find that interesting. So that's the case. So in celebration of that quote mother's day is coming up and i can't enjoy that with my mom unfortunately but you can and anybody else can because they have a mother's day meal kit currently for sale on their website that you can order if you aren't going into ringside for mother's day you can take ringside to your mother
1: yeah and it's uh, it's really great i'm looking over the different items in this chris green got a salad you've got leonais potatoes grilled asparagus a 20 ounce chateaubriand And wild colossal Gulf prawns, so all sorts of variety in this. So if you want to get kind of mix up what you might do at home, let Ringside Steakhouse do it with this great Mother's Day meal kit.
0: There's a great dessert there too, which you got to do for mom.
1: Very nice. So take advantage of uh, making reservations on their website, RingsideSteakhouse.com, or order that Mother's Day meal kit ahead of time. Uh, You can also use the Open Table app to make those reservations. So I I would have have assumed, and I I saw a lot of these, and it's actually part of the reason why you would have uh, Chris on on occasion is to talk about the Portland food scene. Yes. Um, So you probably covered a lot of places that were either opening up, that had been around for a while, um, that are some of which are are not around. Any of those stand out that uh, um, is you know highlights you know people either that you had on or or uh, you know. That you're sad or no longer around because again we go back and we look at over the past two and a half years just the the number of, of great restaurants and spots that were just thriving. I mean, th- if you think about Pock Pock, and we li- we live in a yes. world without a Pock Pock, which is just nuts. It's
3: insane because yeah. at that time it was like, oh, that is that is Portland. Yeah, one that. I just had to make sure that I had the name right because it broke my heart when they closed. But then at the same time, it's like you get so mad at yourself because for me, I see a place closed during the pandemic and then I go, well, when was the last time I went went there?
2: there? Yeah.
3: Like, why have I not, if I love it so much, why have I not been going every week to tell them, like, we need you and please stay in business. Um, Aviv, did you ever go to Aviv in Southeast Mm -hmm. Portland? It was a vegan middle eastern restaurant and the food was so good and i got to go do a a live shot there when they first opened and they sent us home with their like loaded mediterranean fries that were covered with so many delicious things and they made vegan ice cream they bought the brought the vegan ice cream on the show and then i saw them close and it broke my heart so i hope they somehow pop up tal Caspi i think is the owner's name i hope they Hope he does something else and pops up. I should probably look him up, see if he is doing something, because I should go eat that food if he is.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of us kind of, um, you know, we have we have some friends out here in on we're in the southwest um, up up on Bull Mountain. We have some friends that run a tap house, and so when when the pandemic hit, and we knew they were struggling because they virtually couldn't have people in, and so they were just refilling growlers and whatnot. Um, and I, I'm not I don't even drink. But we were going in and buying growlers and gift cards because it's just oh. like we've got to do what we can. But, but I, yeah. you know, but you know, I I did it not regularly, but I did it, and I keep thinking. And unfortunately, they're still around. I should point that out. Um, but um, but you you can't you know you can't do that with everybody because you know you don't just have one favorite place. You might have a dozen, and and you don't have Port- a million
3: dollars either. Like that yeah. was the 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 crappiest part of it was like, you know, I had. Few months into the pandemic, had left my full time job, was yeah. trying to figure out this freelance thing, and it was like, okay, it's probably not responsible for me to just like order takeout from my favorite places, right? Every night of the week, but I want to, I want to support them, but how do we do this?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and then at the same time you have other places, you know, you you, you see the the Paleys, you know, they had multiple restaurants. Mm-hmm. They finally whittled it down to just one, and and by all accounts, and I think when we had them on the show just a couple of months ago, that they were thrive, thriving. The place was busy; they had regular yeah. customers in. But I I think that they just kind of you know the staffing shortages, supply chains, all this stuff kind of just factored into them, you know, saying you know what, I think we're gonna call it a night. Um, yeah, which is oh you know, man.
3: Yeah. yeah, Vitaly Paley was probably one of the people that brought the most food into the studio for Tonight with Cassidy, and it was always so good. Like, they did a pizza night, and he just brought, like, 10 pizzas. We're like, right. you know, we only can eat... We can't even, like, fit all of these in the shot. But he's like, it's fine. Everybody can eat it afterwards. It was always a party right after the show ended because everyone would see it at work and just, like, run into the studio and eat all the food. And now I don't know, like... If they did a show like that, how you even do that? Because we were like sharing food, eating it with our fingers, right. sticking our forks in there, and now it's like, oh goodness! Yeah, That's, I, that I, was I hope
1: weird. I- I hope there's a day where, um, you know, we're able to kind of get back to, whether it's smart or not, I don't know, that we're <laughs> kind of that casualness is back, yes. you know, and there's some things we can be smarter about. I think, you know, we definitely probably, hopefully we're all better at washing our hands and, mm-hmm. and being aware that if we're feeling slightly sick that we probably shouldn't go hang out with people. But, yes. um, but um, w- one thing that popped in my mind when you were talking about, um, you know, putting on putting on a, a, a live show every single day of, of five days a week. Um, I don't think people realize how tough that is to that, that, Ooh, that, yeah. which is probably why after two years, you were probably like, <laughs> I think I'm, I, I did it. I set out to do this. I'm, I'm ready to move on. You, you hear it from, you know, people like, you know, kind of the higher, higher level um, on the national front, people that, you know, like a Jimmy Fallon that just mm-hmm. how wearing it is to think that like, they have to do that day after day after day. And, you know, you'd think, that oh, they're on top of the world, but that's that's a grind. That's tough.
2: Yeah, it
3: I mean, by the time we went off the air, I was so burnt out, like I was sad that it didn't come back eventually. But the first day when they said and also I was homesick when the last episode of the show aired, probably with COVID, but mm. couldn't get a test at that time. But I had brought my computer home. Somebody else filled in for me on the last episode of Tonight with Cassidy ever. It was without Cassidy. But um, I was homesick with my computer. And then the boss called me the next day and was like, just stay home. You're going to be home for probably a couple of weeks. And then we'll get back to normal. And everybody was like, oh, my gosh, are you okay? Are you really sad? And in that moment, I was kind of weirdly relieved because... It was like, oh, wait, I don't have to put a show together. I don't, this pressure is off. I, the stress is off. I just get to help out with whatever other things come on my plate. Not like the other roles at the station were easier even, but it was, for two years, it was me and now she's one of my good friends. Christian Henry was my producer. And it was just us behind the scenes trying to come up with a half an hour of content every day. And luckily Portland's a place where there's always a million things going on, but you still have to set up all those segments. You still have to call people and say, hey, could you come to the studio? And then, oh, can you bring this and this and this? And oh, how are we going to fit this in? And, um, and then I was editing. Oh, like my favorite pieces for the show were usually the ones where we'd go out and shoot for an hour. Like we got to go, other chefs, we got to go to Jose Chesa, when you were talking about Paley, uh, Jose Chesa closed. I think he still has one restaurant, but he closed a couple of his throughout the pand- pandemic too. And we'd like go make churros with him in his churro shop, 180, which I hope still exists because those are delicious.
1: It, it doesn't. Um, I was. I don't oh want to be the no. bearer of bad news. Cassie. Oh, no. Jose Jose has not only shut. He's shut everything. Oh, he down. moved. He's he moved, moved to the East Coast. He yeah. did. You yeah. just.
3: As you started to say it, because I think there was I'm so Facebook much of it Friends, it.
1: yeah, there was there was, there was so, so much change, it, mm-hmm.
3: so much of it. I've tried to block it all out. Um, yep. I think I'm Facebook friends with him, so we did get the update. He was moving, and I was sad but yeah. excited because maybe he's hanging. Is he in Spain, like hanging out with Chris? Is
0: that what uh, I don't think
1: he did. I don't. No, he didn't go on this. I don't think he. He, he uh, Chris actually went with a group from the uh, from Erdeneta. I don't know if you've oh, eaten Erdeneta. Oh yeah.
0: Oh um, man.
1: But, they brought
3: uh, the fluffiest cheesecake into the studio one time that's what that brought to my mind oh it was so good yeah yeah um but like jose chesa we'd go and shoot for an hour with him and actually get to be in the kitchen and make food with him and then i would edit it down into like four minutes that aired on tv and those are my favorite segments because we got to edit and put music and make them move quickly and actually make a whole meal instead of like you know TV magic where you start making something and then ooh the full meal magically comes, comes out, out from yeah. under the table which yeah. is all you can do on live TV but i liked doing the recorded one so we could edit it like that um but a lot of times it would be me editing and at about we aired live at 7 and at about 6:57 when i'd see the commercial break before the show start i would be hitting send on that video and sprinting in my heels to the studio hoping that it made it to the air on time.
1: (laughs) Right. And that was
3: fun. Yeah. But after two years, it was like, oh, boy, maybe a break is what I need.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, you know, I, I referenced the, the late night shows and it's, it's, it's an apples and oranges thing. Just the, obviously the, just the day to day grind, but you were live. I mean, those shows aren't even live. They're, they're pre taping yeah. those. If they screw up, they can start over. You're, you're literally carrying a show for 30 minutes. Um, and I'm sure on, on, on probably more than one occasion you you, and you don't need to name names here, especially here uh, where you might've had a host on that. It may have been their first not a host, but it's a guest on and you're interviewing them. It might've been their first time in a TV studio camera in front of them and they just clam up and they aren't answering questions and you've got a three minute segment to fill. And you're like, Oh boy.
3: Oh yeah. I mean, most, most of the chefs that we had on were so most guests in general, but especially chefs and like, you kind of, we'd get to know them too. So you'd know, okay, they've got a great personality. We can throw them in here. There were even some that we could, if we had an opening the day of and somebody yeah. had dropped out or we're like, shoot, we need to fill four minutes. Let's just call the chef. Look at, oh, it's national pizza day. Cool. What pizza person do we know? Let's call them because they'll be fun. Get them right. in the studio. And so the chefs saved our butts a lot of the time. Um, there, I don't even remember the restaurant, so I can't even name a name, but there was one time and someone was clearly very nervous and you know i'd come up with my questions ahead of time and but also change them in the moment as things went naturally obviously but usually you'd ask a question and you'd expect the interviewee to talk for more than like two seconds and so if i was going to take a bite of food right i would do that right after i asked a question yeah and this one guest brought this meatball sub and also i have not eaten i eat seafood but i haven't eaten real like the other meats, in years. Yeah. and But sometimes I would try it for TV just to be nice sure. and not make it weird. And so I'd take a bite of this meatball sub after asking a question. Took way too big of a bite. That's my biggest regret on live television. And uh, except for the time I burnt my tongue on live television from the grilled cheese truck, which I also think closed, which is very sad. <laughs> Sorry, I digress. I took a bite of this meatball sub and this guest stops talking. Like he he said, like, two words right and then just stopped and i'm standing there on live television with way too much meatball and bread in my mouth trying to chew and i don't even know i don't even know what i did i don't want to go back and watch the segment because right. it's probably just me awkwardly standing there chewing just hoping the guy is going to save me by saying something else and yeah so I mean, yeah that I mean, did meanwhile you have
1: it. a you have a producer <laughs> in your ear saying you got three more minutes keep going
3: Right, like just why did you take such a big bite? This is you're an idiot. Um, yeah. no, she would never say that. But yeah, I mean like half of that job was just trying to make people feel comfortable and talking to them enough before we went live to say, "Hey, this is not a big deal. I know it right. sounds really scary. I always would tell people I know live makes it sound a lot scarier than taping it, but on the other hand, in some ways it's easier because all you can do is keep going." You cannot right. stop. You cannot say something over again. You cannot take five minutes to pause and think. Like we just keep going, and then we are done, and it will be ripped off like a Band-Aid. Boom, done. Yeah, you'll probably black out. You won't even remember half of it. You can watch it later if you want.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think like people knowing that something is pre-recorded often makes it worse because yeah, um, they're they're not really acting like themselves because they know that if oh, if I screw up, I can just redo it.
3: And it happens Um, for me too, like when I would have live hits and then we, or we'd try to pre-tape something and I was trying to say like one line like, this is Court Johnson, he's one of the hosts of Right at the Fork, blah, 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 blah. And if I had to say that live, I would usually just get it right because my brain knew we got to keep going. But if I had to take it, oh, this is Court, court, wait, what's, oh, Court, okay. Court, right at the, no, what? (laughs) And so it happens with me too. When you know you have a chance to redo it, You'll need it.
1: <laughs> yep, um, I think uh, as uh, I don't want to keep you longer than we initially talked about, Cassidy. But um, no, all since good. We're, Clearly since I'll we're talking talk about forever, <laughs> since we're talking about these places that that might have visited you on set, um, probably a good place here to talk about some of your favorite places to eat in Portland, and or and and maybe they're the same. When somebody's coming to Portland and is looking for a recommendation, where do you Ooh. tell them to go?
3: Okay, my favorite for like. If we're gonna go out for a nice meal, like my partner Tucker and I, if it's our anniversary, if it's his birthday, whatever, we always go to Mediterranean Exploration Company mm-hmm. in the Pearl District. The food is so good, and it's also really easy for us to figure out things like that are seafood, but then he can also get things that are meat. Um, they're hummus, I could just eat it all the time. Uh, also big fan of Luklak, downtown. I guess maybe they have a couple locations, but their vermicelli bowls are a common takeout meal in our house and would definitely recommend going there. It's also nice that they're open I think till midnight, so that's handy. Um, new favorite recently is a dog-friendly place because Portland has a lot of great places you can take your dog, but we discovered one where you can they feed your dog. Have you heard of Tin Shed? No. On Alberta. Hmm. They not only allow dogs which is super fun as long as your dog like gets along with other dogs and it's like a covered patio kind of thing i'm guessing in the summer they actually kind of open up open it up so there's no walls out there but right now it's kind of covered in plastic and um they have dog food items on the menu which is so ridiculous but wonderful so summit the pup got to have uh, I think it was like chicken and sweet potatoes for his brunch. And then for dessert, he got to have a peanut butter and banana smoothie. And then the next day, he really didn't want to eat his kibble because he thought he was just like bougie right. restaurant like, dog what, now. What is this? Yeah. <laughs> so sorry, Summit. We can't afford to take you there every day for breakfast. But um, that was a great one. Um And typical Portland place, but Screen Door. And I feel like that's a great one for out-of-town people. Sure. Especially, we went there recently for the first time in person since before the pandemic. And the wait, we waited like 15 minutes, which I feel like before the pandemic was two hours. So I don't Mm -hmm. know how how that is possible. But I always say if you know some place is going to be really busy and you have to wait in line, the perfect time to do it is when you do have somebody visiting because you've got a lot to talk about with them and to catch up. So if you're going to stand around for two hours, you might as well do that because you'll just have things to talk about. Could be a good place to record podcasts for that same reason. Sure. In line for brunch.
1: as, As long as people are keeping a low whisper.
3: Right, no, probably um, a horrible
1: idea, really. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting. You mentioned Mediterranean, or Mediterranean Exploration Company. That was that yeah. was every, everybody might remember the last place they went to before the pandemic hit. That Ooh. that was. At, I think we went there the weekend before everything shut down, and so, done, um, done, dun. yeah. So that that'll always be our our final pre-COVID uh, meal. Yeah. And, and to your point, like, it really can't can't go wrong there. Um, I think
3: ours was Quaintrell. Yeah. which was on North Mississippi, which is moved. where we lived at the time, but now mm-hmm. they moved to Southeast, I think, but yeah. really good French food. Mm-hmm. And yeah, also a delicious, delicious
1: place. Yeah. So I want to talk, um, as we wrap things up, um, you, and you mentioned that you're doing a podcast and you've been doing yeah. it for about a year. And I think it's very appropriate given that may is mental health awareness month. Yeah, um, it is. your podcast is called mentally together. Um, people can find it everywhere wherever good podcasts are found yes uh, so it, it, it sounds like it's a con- combination of of not just uh, interviews with people but I think you're doing some meditation type stuff through the podcast Or you yeah. Not? yeah
3: I started meditating myself like the two and a half, three years ago. Yeah. And just for the record, if anyone's like, I'm going to click out of this episode because I don't want to hear people talk about meditation and how it's wonderful. I thought it was stupid. I thought that my ADHD brain could never sit still and do it. And now it's one of the most helpful things that I try to do every day. I haven't done it today yet. So that's my reminder um, to just like sit with my thoughts and feelings and. It doesn't mean get rid of all of them, but notice like, oh, what's popping up? Can I push it away? Can we come back to that later? Maybe. And uh, so when I started this podcast, I had never led or guided a meditation for anyone before. But then after a few months, I was like, okay, how do I how do I do this? Like, what do you do to be qualified to teach a meditation? Do you have to be qualified? What do you what do you have to learn? Um, and so I've started. I think I've done like four or five of them. I call it mindfully together, and which that name my mom came up with me come up, came up with, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And uh, and mindfully together, we do just little meditations. So I put one out last week or the week before that was a loving kindness meditation, which is the cheesiest sounding type of meditation, but also has been very helpful for me because it's all about compassion for ourselves and once we have it for ourselves we can share it for other people around the world um and i've gotten super into it's also one of the most nerve-wracking things that i've ever done like going on live television didn't make me super nervous leading a meditation scares the crap out of me and that's i think part of what makes me want to keep doing it and so i have been taking some classes this summer i'm taking another class to maybe be on the path to be like a certified mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher is what it would be called um mbsr and so still figuring it all out but uh taking another class for that this summer because i think it's cool to try to bring meditation to more people and make it more relatable and accessible and not this scary serious thing where you have to like sit in silence for an hour or you're doing it wrong because that's not it's not what this. Well,
1: and I and I think sometimes people are are having they're having a meditation experience with themselves but not really realizing it like they go you know i I realize i i go out for an afternoon walk and i'm out for 45 an hour and i'm just alone with my thoughts and i'm working i'm working through issues and i'm not thinking in my mind oh this is meditation but if you probably look at the basic tenets of of what meditation is it's exactly it is kind of just self-evaluation even trying to rid your mind of thoughts uh just you know to just clear the brain um i'll often if i'm hopping on a meeting that i know uh, yeah where i'm going to be doing a lot of speaking mm-hmm. um, i i typically will often start with some some visible um what do i call it visible uh nervousness and i which mm-hmm. bugs me and so i'm like the way i try to do it is just sit like for two minutes before I hop on the Zoom call because yes. most things are Zoom calls. It just like deep breaths, just clearing my brain, and I found it just makes such a difference. And I never ever in my mind thought, oh, I'm meditating, but that's that is a form of meditation, correct?
3: Totally. I mean, I take Summit for a walk all the time, just like you said, and it's like, and sometimes I'm filling my ears and my head with like listening to a podcast or music or something, but other times I just turn it off, have silence. Sometimes I'm thinking, other times I'm just focusing on, oh, what do do the birds sound like? Oh, look at those beautiful flowers. Oh, look how excited Summit is to jump in that puddle. That's so lovely. And uh, just the whole practice of mindfulness is, I think, mindfulness and meditation, I know technically they're different, but they're also very, very related. And so mindfulness, the definition I know from Jon Kabat-Zinn, one of the they say like the fathers of mindfulness he says it's the being paying attention to the present moment on purpose non-judgmentally i might be missing one thing in there i think that's it and so that's just something that i've been trying to practice because i realized how much in the past i was in the present moment but not necessarily really paying attention to it just kind of like Going, 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 going. And then all of a sudden, the pandemic was like, we stop. Everybody, stop what you're doing. Right. Sit with yourself. Oh, what am I doing now? Um, and so that's definitely been really helpful. Or like mindful. I don't know. When, re- when I took MB- the MBSR class last year, one of the things they told us like each week to pick something, a daily normal task to like do mindfully. And one was showering, which. Okay. I think this is relatable. Like when I get in the shower, that's when my brain's like, let's think about everything and solve all of your problems. Yeah. (laughs) But what if you're just like, ooh, actually, let's focus on the warm water. How does this feel? Let's not think about anything and just enjoy this. And to me, that kind of makes everything more enjoyable because you're actually appreciating it instead of just, oh, I got to get in the shower and solve all my problems and write those emails in my head and then get out and go on with my day.
2: Yeah,
1: I think, I think my, my equivalent to this, cause I was thinking about that very thing is, is loading the dishwasher, cleaning up the mm. kitchen. There's, there's some sort of stress release I get out of that as much as I hate it. I just hate <laughs> it. But, but when I, when I start doing it, I'll like purposely make myself do it because I can just let go of everything else and just tackle a very simple thing of like scrub this dish and put it in the dish, you know, yeah. very simple, easy things that. Um, you know, you, you can't really do wrong unless you watch my two teenage daughters try to load a dishwasher <laughs> and then it's the worst thing in the world. Oh, um, no. Well, it's, you know, it's it's the, it's I guess it's part of being a dad is you watch people load I remember, Cassidy, I, I, I have very vivid memories of my dad and I remember at the time thinking, what the heck is my dad doing? Sitting all of us down and, and showing us how to load the dishwasher and I'm just oh, like, my gosh. we can do this. And then suddenly I find myself doing that to my two daughters (laughs) and I'm trying to do it in a nice way, but I'm just like, look, if you, if you stack things this way, they're not going to get clean. This is going to get turned over. Like it's there's it's science anyway. Um, that's, that's my own, uh, my own battle. Um, uh, we are releasing this, um, on a day where you've got something going on tonight. So I do want to talk about a, it's it's a fundraiser for the Dougie center, which, um, such great people over there at the Dougie center. Um, tell us about what's going on tonight.
3: Yeah, Dougie Center is the National Grief Center for Children and Families, and they're a nonprofit I became aware of a few years ago. We did some kind of KGW segment with them. Now I have become an even bigger fan of theirs because my mom died uh, like almost nine months ago, and grief is something that I realized I didn't know much about at all. Like, I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't... If anybody was grieving, I kind of just avoided it because you're like, I don't want to remind them that their person died. Ha ha. Like, they ever forget. You're not going to remind me my mom died by telling me that you're sorry or sharing a memory of her or whatever. Um, And as a society, we've started talking about grief a lot more the last couple of years because more of us have lost people too, obviously. Um, But so the Dougie Center... They have all kinds of workshops and programs for youth and families who are going through it, like support groups and on their website, Dougie.org. They have all kinds of resor- resources and workbooks and tips and tricks, not tricks, tips, <laughs> helpful things for getting through Various different types of loss, also. Um, And so they're actually celebrating their 40th anniversary. And so tonight, as you're putting out this episode on May 6th, they're holding their Reflections Benefit and it's at the Portland Art Museum. And they brought me on to be their MC. And I'm really, really excited and honored to get to do this because I love MCing events. And when I, if I could think of like a dream place to do it, it would be Dougie Center. I also get to do it, uh, I mentioned the Pixie Project, get to do it with them in a couple weeks, which I'm very excited. Can't bring Summit, whatever. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we had the rehearsal for this Dougie Center event a couple days ago and Brennan Wood, who I actually got to have on the Mentally Together podcast back in December or January, I think. So if anyone wants to learn more about Dougie Center and talk about grief and how you are not alone if you are going through it. And uh, then that is with Brennan Wood. And she got connected with the Dougie Center because when she was a kid, her mom died. And her dad was like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. Let's Google where you can go. And so she went to the Dougie Center. And now decades later, she is their executive director. And she said in our rehearsal the other day, she was like, "You you can mention your mom if you want. That you're here honoring her. Of course, it's also Mother's Day weekend, so that feels mm-hmm. nice. I mean, Mother's Day weekend does not feel nice, but the fact that I can like, you know, mention my mom. Uh, and Brennan said, if you, you know, this is an emotional thing. If you and we do not shy away from emotions at Dougie Center. So if you start to cry on stage, which I have no idea if I will or not, right. uh, then that's okay. She's like, we will support you. We are there for you, and. If any of, you know, somebody, there's going to be some videos that they show throughout the program. If one of those makes me cry, that's okay too. So it's very nice to be working with a group that's just like, emotions are great.
1: (laughs) Yeah. We get it. it, it, It's interesting you mentioned that because uh, years ago I was, uh, when I, for about two or three years, I was actually working for KXL, the the news station there in Mm -hmm. in the building we work in together. And I had, I was talking to somebody over the Dougie center and just kind of having this conversation, um, about, about grieving because everybody's grieving process yes. is completely unique to, to them. And so this idea that you do a, B and C and, and things will, are going to be okay. or you are going to be feeling better? Just, just isn't true because of, mm-hmm. you know, just people's unique circumstances, their relationship with the person who might've passed and, and I and I think just as a resource for parents um, who might you know because obviously the Dougie Center is targeted towards younger kids um, mm-hmm. and families. Um, I, just such a great resource for us to have here in Portland. So um, yes, how do they? How do they? I think you, they can watch this right on, t- on TV tonight. Is on like
3: yes, it's actually going to be on, live on Fox 12. So you can watch it tonight. Let me. Uh, can I just look it up really quick?
1: Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I can. I'll tighten <laughs> Make this sure- up.
3: I know what time I have to be there, but I don't know what time it actually starts. Um, So it's called the Reflection Benefit and Auction, celebrating 40 years of Dougie Center. It's going to air on Fox 12 Plus and online. I guess they're going to have three cameras there. So when we get there to set up, I got to pay attention and figure out where those are. It's been a while since I had live cameras on me. It's
1: the one with the red light.
3: Exactly, <laughs> probably. Um, let's see. Oh, it starts at five thirty. Okay. And also, really excited that it's at the Portland Art Museum because I haven't been there in way too long, so it'll feel cool to get to be back there.
1: It's gonna be it's gonna be a busy weekend there at the art museum. So you got the Dougie Center event tonight, and then my daughter's prom is there tomorrow night. No what a turnaround
3: i'm also emceeing that no, <laughs> there,
1: there there we go well cassie I, I kept you for way longer than i wanted to I'll, I'll put the links for a lot of this into the show notes so that if people want to uh wonderful you know, s- support thanks. and join we'll also put links to your podcast um i appreciate it and uh, i'm sure i'll see you again soon we'll have yes. you back we'll
3: talk thank more. you thanks for having me back it was really fun and thanks for talking about all these things
2: Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com.